You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's Ben Folks. Ben, uh, how are you this week? I'm great, man. I'm glad that we finally have a show where we get to actually talk about some stuff happening and yep. we don't just have to rely on uh, listener questions There's, to get us through. We no longer have to rely solely on the kindness of others. That's right. And let's be honest, if we had to do that for very long, we'd be in trouble. That's right. The, the the co-main event podcast listener listenership is is kind, but not that kind. No. Well, and it's like we've been staying at their house, you know. <laughs> and we're just like, how about a few more days, man? Yeah. You know, she's gonna take me back, man. Just just let me crash on the couch for one more night. Come on, we'll we'll get point break out. We'll we'll make a night of it, man. Come on. Uh, do, do you have anything to report aside aside from the fact that the 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 actual uh hot man on man face punching gets started again this week? I wish you hadn't done that. I wish you hadn't just started us off that way. Come on, we all know why we're here. Well, now we know why you're here. Why deny it any longer? <laughs> just move on. Let's move on here. What do we got this week? Three rounds, as usual, Ben, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, it was happy trails to Jake Shields this week as the former Strike Force champion was cut from the UFC on Monday despite being 3-1-1 one, and one in his last five fights. Everybody say it with me. Man, what's really going on? And in round number two, Holly Holm moved to 7-0 on Friday, becoming the champion of a sizable independent MMA promotion in the same weight class as another undefeated champion who really badly needs quality opponents right now. But nope, not interested. And in round number three... This Friday, it's Big Country against Big Nog and a big-time heavyweight hoot nanny. Big deal or big deal? You worked all day on that, didn't you? That took, took about five minutes. Yeah, okay. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me, just saying stuff. And Sir Nigel Longstock is here. We're going to do some Master Tweet Theater. But first, right now, like we always do about this time, let's do some listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Sean Solberg. He writes, so anybody else afraid that DC is going to beat Hendo to death? Obviously referring to uh, news that broke this past week that we think now Daniel Cormier is going to fight Dan Henderson at, I believe, UFC 175. Is that what they're thinking? Something like that. And I am a little concerned. It is concerning. The, uh, the week prior, we had heard that Daniel Cormier was going to fight uh, Feijiao. Uh, Rafael Cavalcante, and uh, that was a matchup that didn't that didn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense, and and a lot of people said as much. And this week, come to find out that they're they're actually targeting, we think now, uh, Cormier against Hendo at UFC 175, which I guess makes more sense. Although you're right that it does seem uh, troubling, like a tough assignment for the 42 year old Dan Henderson. Which kind of reminds you, you know, you look at Dan Henderson's record since he came back to the UFC. A lot of tough assignments for that dude. Just there's not a whole lot of easy fights in there. You know, I mean, for one thing, when he was uh, in Strike Force, uh, you know, he finished up there. He fought Feijiao, fought uh, Fedor. You know, was really riding high. Came in, had that great fight with Shogun Hua. Then he fights uh, 
Machida, Rashad Evans, and Vitor Belfort all right in a row. Then uh, Shogun again, and now Daniel Cormier. There's not a, not an easy night of work in that bunch. Yeah, fact check. Dan Henderson actually 43, going to turn 44 this summer in Good August. Uh, you, you're right, and I would say uh, uh, my feelings on that would be twofold. Number one, uh, you know, we may have forgotten at this point because uh, he's lost uh, three fights in a row prior to the to the Shogun win, but. Uh, Dan Henderson, when he came back into the UFC from Strike Force, had really built up a ton of momentum, uh, w- with, uh, beating, uh, Fedor and beating, uh, uh, Rafael Cavalcanti to win the light heavyweight championship just prior to that. Uh, so, you know, when he came into the UFC, I think he had worked his way into this position where you had to give him these high profile fights, these, these, uh, tough opponents. Uh, and I guess my other feeling about it would be, let's never forget that the first time Dan Henderson fell out with the UFC, it was over money. And if ever there's a time where maybe they're sitting around the offices being like, oh, I don't know, that seems like a tough fight for Dan, Dan Henderson, eh, maybe that's still hanging around in the back of their mind somewhere. Well, they just, didn't they just re-sign him for, with kind of a low-ball offer that, uh, at least according to him? Forgive, uh, but never forget. Yeah, you know. Low-ball, but never forget. <laughs> it seems like you can kind of look into the, the machinery and see what the UFC is thinking here. Like, obviously, Daniel Cormier is uh, a guy they have big hopes for in the future in the light heavyweight division. I mean, uh, an eventual title shot's probably, uh, you know, if he beats Dan Henderson, they say that he gets the winner of Alexander Gustafson fighting the winner of Jones and Teixeira, which to anybody who's been following the UFC, you ought to recognize that that's already looking way too far ahead that's for, true, for yeah. any guarantee to be worth anything. But you can see how they would look at, okay, Cormier's first fight at 205, Rashad Evans got hurt, so he, he beat up Patrick Cummins. You know, you can't really push him too hard off of that one. But if he beats Dan Henderson, he beat a legend. You know, you can already, like, you can just hear the little pre-fight promo package in your head when they're making this fight. It also seems, though, like they're making it really kind of planning on that outcome. Not really thinking that Dan Henderson is going to do a whole lot else right. except for step step throw that right hand yeah he's gonna have that puncher's chance but i think that's probably about all he's gonna have uh and you know i wrote about this a couple weeks ago actually when the the Feijiao rumors were out there and that's that i think one of the the many many things to like about daniel cormier is the fact that he will just fucking fight anyone he does yeah. not give a shit and part of that has to do with the fact that he's already 35 years old and uh let's face it wants to make some money for the family that's right uh a few steaks in the freezer but I think another part of it is that Daniel Cormier really uh, probably believes that he's one of the best guys in the world and therefore doesn't really matter who he fights because he, he just plans on beating all of them. Yeah. And I think that, that that's a that's uh, a really admirable and easy to like thing about Dan Hender or about Daniel Cormier. It is. Uh, and, you know, it seems like he was in a situation here where any fight that the UFC makes for him uh, couldn't be criticized for one reason or another, unless it's like a, a fight with Gustafson, which. I, I can understand the UFC, you know, they usually like to try and stay away from those fights when they can because, hey, you got two guys who can both be contenders. If you throw them in there together, then you knock one of them right. off. No need to have fewer light heavyweight contenders right. at this point. Uh, so, you know, that's clearly what they're thinking. And it's like when they were talking about a fight with Feja, oh, what does that do for him? You know, it's a, it's a risky fight without the big reward. And then you got Dan Henderson. Seems like not that risky of a fight at this point, uh, especially for a guy with Cormier's specific set of skills, uh, but it does have a big name that you can attach to it, even if, you know, 
jerks like us will say afterwards, hey, Dan Henderson was 43 or 107 or however old he is. The next question this week comes from Luke Rogers. He writes, okay, so Will Chope's ex has appeared in a video and asks the UFC to reconsider. Whilst it's commendable for her to have forgiven Mr. Chope. Canadian? must be because okay. I don't know why else you would drop a whilst okay. in there. Uh, and also maybe writes for the New York times since we go, we're going to go ahead and, <laughs> and go Mr. Chope here. Uh, I can see how the UFC can have a policy, which is dependent upon uh, whether or not the victim forgives the guilty party saying that it would be nice if their policy was at least consistent thoughts. Also, what do you think the UFC UFC's stance would be if say Ronda Rousey gave her boyfriend a bit of a beating question mark? Uh, so yeah, we, we you know we actually uh, caught what I would call a surprising amount of flack from listeners, both in terms of emails and uh, I think one angry comment on the website about our uh, uh, our belief that the UFC did the right thing in cutting Will Chope after Wait, it was people re- comment on our website sometimes yeah oh man they wasted their time mostly just really nasty shit about you okay <laughs> really nasty I'll take your word for it. Uh, but so yeah, so the UFC cuts Will Chope after it comes to light that, uh, he was involved in some, uh, a couple of incidences of, of particularly ugly partner assault while he, while, whilst in the military. Uh, and, and, uh, we both said we thought that was the right move. And, and then, you know, some people uh, took, took offense to that. And, uh, now we've got this, this latest news that Will Chope's ex-girlfriend or ex-wife, uh, has forgiven him for all this stuff and, and wants him to have his job back. How do we know it was really his ex-wife? Oh, wow. Conspiracy. Maybe he hired an actress from the local community theater to come on and, and portray his ex-wife. Well, what was his reported payout for his first two UFC fights? I mean, probably like eight grand. So definitely community theater actress quality wages there. I don't know that he could. It's not like he's going to get Sandy Bullock. Okay. Does it mean anything to you that well, – let's say for the sake of argument that it's really his ex-wife <laughs> okay, yes. and that he's not yeah. – uh, you know, really thinking three steps ahead there and hiring actresses. Uh, does it mean anything to you that, uh, his, his ex-wife is like, Hey, we're cool now. Let it go. Yes and no. Uh, a lot of times when it comes to the actual prosecution of this kind of crime, the, uh, uh, the stance of the victim really does mean a lot. Like, uh, uh, especially when like de- debil- uh, deliberating over a sentence and stuff like that. And like, uh, if you're forgiven by the victim and the victim comes to court, I know this cause I went to your trial. Uh, the victim comes to court. I and, asked you and, not to come. And, to <laughs> well, I had to, I was the victim, uh, comes to, to, to court and, and basically like, testifies on your behalf that can mean a lot in terms of sentencing uh it doesn't mean very much to me though in terms of what do you think the purveyor of a fledgling and still somewhat controversial sport should do personnel wise with a guy who has been uh, uh accused or, or prosecuted or 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 whatever uh uh, with partner assault. I still think if you're the UFC, you can't really afford to have that guy around, unfortunately for him. Yeah. And I think as the, the question kind of alludes to, like the UFC has got to be conscious in these situations that it's establishing a, a precedent for how these things, how people are going to expect it to deal with situations like this in the future. And what is it going to be like? Okay. We're against, uh, anybody with a, a history of domestic violence. Unless you get the permission slip signed by, you know, the, the former partner who you assaulted. 
I, yeah, I mean, I just don't know f- from the USC's perspective how much they can really expect that to weigh in. On the other hand, though, I get what people are saying when people are like, hey, you know, it happened to, you know, when he was young and stupid and he deserves a second chance. I mean, that you ought to be able to, to, you know, make some huge mistake in your life, especially if you're like 18 or 19 and then, uh, be able to come back and fight. However, I do think that there are people, I think sometimes, they do, they fail to make the distinction that it's not like people are saying Will Chope can't ever have any job or do anything and therefore must wander the earth uh, with this thing attached to him like a like you know just a, a an albatross that's going to follow him everywhere. I think though it's like maybe this is the one thing that people would be uncomfortable with seeing you do is fight for a living after you know you have had violent history with it with a former partner i don't know i mean that that's one to me where i would th- i think that there's a lot of people who probably heard this thing and thought good i'm glad they cut him and those people are just not as uh vociferous in their responses as the people who seem to be outraged by it well the next question comes from dan lintern and he writes just saw the reported payouts for world series of fighting they can't be serious did you just spill coffee on my on my chair no it, it just got on my jeans just on your own pants yeah it's okay, fine good uh dan lintern writes just oh, saw- now it's on the chair <laughs> damn it <laughs> my wife's chair anyway just saw the reported payouts from world series of fighting they can't be serious paying a prelim fighter 500 dollars. asking somebody to step in a cage and put the put their health on the line for 500 dollars is a bit of a piss take or a bit of a piss take british Right. Must be British. Okay. Although I, I do like that phrase. Yeah, I'd like oh, it That's too. a little bit of a piss take. But you can't do it. You, I mean, you no, can't I start screwed incorporating it up already. those. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, whenever we start doing this thing, I always wonder like, okay, what do we, what would you consider the fair minimum to be for like a prelim fighter on a, uh, an event like the caliber of World Series of Fighting where the main card and stuff is on TV. People know it. People who are fans of the sport know it. You know, it's not like, the local event, you know, down at like the parking lot of a strip club. It is an actual real event, but you're not on the main card of it. And you're not like, you know, putting butts in seats. What would you consider the, the, where should the minimum be there? Two grand? Well, are we talking about me fighting or just somebody else? Somebody we're, I don't care about. We're not definitely a, not, not talking about you fighting. Good, Nobody wants to see that. If it was me, it'd be like $10 million. <laughs> Uh, I feel like that's an unanswerable question. I mean, clearly the market dictates like what, what dudes get paid. Uh, which is how we ended up at $500 here, I, probably. I, I guess, yeah. Um, I was trying to find out the name of the guy who got paid $500. Um, Sean Cantor got paid $500. Uh, he was defeated by technical knockout due to strikes in round one. So, ouch. Yeah, that, that's smarts. <laughs> getting paid, getting paid five hundred dollars to get to get beaten into oblivion, uh, or or Bolivian, Bolivia, as I believe Mike Tyson said once. Uh, what um, a minimum, a fair minimum. Uh, well, you, the UFC's is eight and eight now, right? And that to me seems a little low still. Uh, I mean, these dudes are going out there. You could you could be killed in theory, uh, competing at this sport. Um. I mean, I'd like to see a guy get paid $10,000, but I mean, I guess that's probably not reasonable. And who knows World Series of Fighting even made (laughs) $10,000. Right. I mean, that's one of those things where I feel like $500 because it's below, it's no, it's not in the thousands. You know, when you drop into three digits, that's when it starts to look especially bad to us. But I don't know. Like, I think there's also a guy who made $800, Gil Guadardo. Well, yeah. I mean, that's not really significantly different. 
right? Then then making five hundred dollars. I mean, I think it, it's like if the guy made fifteen hundred and fifteen hundred. I don't know if many people would be complaining about it, but as soon as like five hundred just sounds so bad. When really, man, anything below like a few grand. You're not coming away with much when you have to consider like, you know, you got to give your, your corner people some, you got to pay for your, your, uh, medicals and stuff like that. I mean, anything below that, below say like three grand, you're not stepping away with that much. No, especially if you're, if you're an independent contractor paying your taxes as a sole, sole proprietor. Yeah. At that point, like you're doing it because you're hoping to get somewhere in the future with it, not because, you know, you're planning on this money. And keeping the lights on. Yeah. And when you get TKO'd by Bryant or Bryson Hansen in the first round, uh, maybe he, maybe Bryson Hansen is willing to share some of his $3,000 with you. Probably he made, not. He made 15 and 15. Probably not willing to share that. Uh, and you know, this event is in Las Vegas. For all we know, the, the World Series of Fighting is pulling a, a, uh, UFC style payout where they paid, uh, Sean Cantor $500 on the record and then gave him they just lavished millions upon him in secret as part of some kind of backstage handshake. Right. Deal. Which I'm sure they would want to do because why wouldn't they want to open themselves up for public criticism for how little they're paying prelim guys? Preaching to the choir, brother. Uh, last question this week comes to us from Luke Clifford. He writes, if Eddie Bravo and Hoist Gracie fought in the UFC, would you give a fuck? Please discuss the shit out of it. I don't think the UFC is the place for that particular fight. Uh, however, if they were to fight in, you know, to paraphrase uh, Hoist Gracie's remarks, a Valley Tudo match, I would give a fuck. I would be interested to see how that would go. Um, I'm not necessarily saying I'd pay for it on pay-per-view, but, uh, you know, if one of the, the lesser shows wanted to put it together uh, and it's on Access TV, you'd watch that. Don't even sit here and say you wouldn't watch that. You'd watch it. Yeah, if it's on free TV, I probably would tune in to 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 see what happened although um i i mean i can't say that my interest would be uh particularly high in, in that you know you you've got a guy in, in hoist gracie who hasn't fought since 2007 and and is himself 47 years old against uh eddie bravo who who is a uh, uh highly regarded and, and decorated brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor but has never fought in mma right like he's never he's one of the he's one of the guys who doesn't want to get punched, which I think understandable. Yes. Totally understandable. Yeah, and he's also like 43 or something. So, But I mean, I, no one's asking you to go ape shit over it. It's the question is, would you give a fuck? I would give a fuck. I wouldn't really give a fuck. I, I wouldn't think. give that many fucks, but I'd give at least one or two. Wouldn't it? W I, I mean, I know that Hoist Gracie has challenged Eddie Bravo to a Valley Tudo fight here, but isn't the more relevant uh, uh, contest, wouldn't it be another metamorosis Brazilian jiu-jitsu submission grappling match? Because well, that's the thing they're both good at. I mean... Well, ostensibly, I don't think Hoist Gracie really wants to do any kind of stuff like that. I think he'd rather challenge people to valet Tudo matches that he knows that they won't accept and that even if they did accept trying to work out the actual details of doing it would prove to be impossible and therefore he won't have to do anything and can just keep showing up places and puffing his chest out and trying to get his legend cred you on. You are just... You have come out anti-Hoist Gracie in the last couple of weeks. He's made me be anti-Hoist Gracie. I used to be so pro-Hoist Gracie back at, back in the, the late 90s and stuff. Hoist Gracie was one of the guys who got me into jiu-jitsu. But now I feel like he's uh, just trying to kind of coast on the fumes here and maybe claim uh, ownership of, of more than he has earned. So let me get this straight. The fact that an aging former fighter sometimes lets his mouth run away with himself and maybe that he writes some checks that his ass probably couldn't cash – 
that's all it takes to get on the Ben Folk shit list these days? Because that seems, I don't know, man. We're this Hoist Gracie we're talking about. Oh, you think so? Hoist Gracie can just do whatever he wants as far as you're concerned. I'm just saying, maybe as you're, long as he shows up in a gi, he can do whatever he wants. Maybe. Well, I do. When I imagine him, I do always imagine him walking around in a gi, coming to your wedding and just tipping over the the table with a cake on it. Oh, damn it. He's wearing a gi. We got to let him go. First of all, Hoist Gracie wasn't invited to my wedding. And if he was, we would have been delighted to have him, especially if he if he wore a gi. Uh, and the fact that he started tipping over tables wouldn't have ne- necessarily differentiated him from anyone else who was there. That's true. Yourself included. That's true. I assumed that he would have arrived uh, as somebody's date, by the way. I mean, we've known for a long time that the Gracies are a little bit cuckoo when it comes to the whole family thing, right? So, I mean, I just can't see how I'm terribly surprised by Hoist Gracie challenging Eddie Bravo. So you're saying you think I should just – I should extend my, my stance to all the Gracies? That's what you think. I just think you're being a little. uh, You're being a little tough on him. Maybe you have a standard. Your standard is set a little too high for aging former fighter guy. That could be. How about what about this though? What if Eddie Bravo takes him up on the Gracie challenge? What if we get like a a a shaky, grainy uh, VHS cassette tape recording of of Eddie Bravo going to the Gracie gym and and fighting Hoist Gracie on those like terrible green mats or whatever that are in all the Gracie challenge videos. Uh, Honestly, only if it's on VHS. That's the only way I watch that. Well, I think that's the only kind of uh, recorder that they have. All right. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment or a concern to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. Go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, uh, some surprise news, I guess you could say, broke uh, either late on Sunday or early on Monday. I'm actually not sure which. But uh, apparently the UFC has cut ties with former Strike Force champion Jake Shields. Uh, you know, he came into the UFC back in 2010 after the collapse of, of Strike Force and ever since then has been a little bit up and down. Uh, but, you know, has been regarded as uh, uh, a fighter who ain't no joke. I guess you could say maybe maybe a gatekeeper or a litmus test kind of guy. And as I said in the opening, uh, was was three one and one in his last five appearances in the octagon. Of course, the last one, a unanimous decision loss to Hector Lombard at UFC one seventy one. I guess as a caveat, we should say uh, the no contest in there uh, from UFC one fifty was actually a win over Ed Herman that was later uh, overturned because Shields failed a post fight drug test. I believe the. Uh, Specifics of which we were never given. That's right. right. There was a kind of a weird settlement with the Colorado Athletic Commission that made it so that nobody could ever talk about it ever. So that is is uh, hashtag in the mix as well. Um, but just give me your reaction, your initial reaction here when you found out probably this morning or last night that, that Jake Shields uh, had been served as walking papers. You know, I think it was one of those things where at first you hear it. Oh, wow. Jake Shields released. Okay. That seems a little sudden since, you know, 
He just had one loss and before that had a couple wins, including one over Tyron Woodley, which even if you don't think he deserved that decision, goes down on paper as a win over a pretty highly touted guy. I thought the, the win over Demian Maya was one of his best performances. Uh, but then once you start to really look at it and, and think about the, the situation, it makes sense given how the UFC is doing this stuff now. I mean, if, if they look at you and think, okay, are you on your way to becoming a champion? An answer for Jake Shields seems to be no, especially after that Hector Lombard thing. Uh, not really in that conversation of contenders at this point. Uh, which, hey, not everybody has to be. Are you putting butts in seats? Are people excited to come see a fight? Definitely not for Jake Shields. In fact, the opposite seems to be true. Um, which, okay, you can still do that and still, and survive. Uh, and the, but then the third question is, are you making kind of a lot of money uh, compared to other guys in the UFC who are maybe putting on more exciting fights or climbing up the ladder a lot faster? And that's where I think you you put all those things together. Same with like John Fitch and Yushin Okami. It makes sense that here's where the UFC decided to get out of the Jake Shields business. Yeah, Jake Shields' uh, disclosed payment at uh, UFC 171 was 75 grand. Uh, so that you, is just his show money. So you, you gotta you assume he's making 75 and 75. Uh, so the potential to make 150 thousand dollars if you win. Uh, weirdly enough, more than either Diego Sanchez or Carlos Condit on that same card. Uh, so you do start to wonder, like you said, if maybe this was a case. Uh, where you where you think of a guy being in his mid thirties and is probably not going to be the champion is not uh, overwhelmingly popular and is a guy who stands to make a, a chunk of change every time he goes out there to fight. Uh, maybe a little bit comparable to what happened to John Fitch or Yushin Okami, uh, you know, perennial contenders that don't seem like they're going to suddenly uh, catch fire and sprint to the mountaintop, uh, and guys that are also being paid uh, a considerable amount. It's this. It's the second thing that you mentioned that that makes me feel the most uncomfortable and that's the idea that the UFC uh would would maybe not as the only reason but as part of the reason fire a guy because they don't necessarily like his fighting style whereas if you go out there and throw them bungalows maybe maybe you can go 0 and 5 and and always have a spot on the roster yeah well and I mean, I don't know if it's even, I think it's kind of, uh, missing the point to say that it's the UFC that doesn't like its fight, his fighting style. I mean, if we, the fans, if everybody decided that they loved that stuff, the UFC wouldn't, the UFC would, okay, this is what people want to see. This is what people are paying for. Fine. Then we'll, you know, we'll yeah. get all about that. Yeah. I think that that's a valid point. And I also think that, that, that we're, we're coming close to putting words in the UFC's mouth here. Uh, but I think what you just said, gets close to like a chicken in the egg question about whether or not uh uh fans are responsible or whether or not the UFC is responsible since pretty much from from day 1 of the Zufa era or you know at least the the modern Zufa era the UFC has really been uh upfront about the style of fight that it likes you know and and I don't even know uh I think I think you can still make the valid argument that the UFC has set that tone in the MMA uh, industry and that, uh, uh, you know, fans m would have been more receptive to different styles of fighting had the, the overwhelming tenure of the M or te uh, the, 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 uh, the attitude of the MMA industry not been, uh, you know, we like guys who stand and bang. I think you can still argue where that uh, initial idea came from, I guess is maybe the short winded way to say what I just said. You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if, if it's a, a matter of a like the UFC telling us or us telling the UFC, but I do think that like stuff like this, I think my thinking on it has kind of changed uh, over time because 
at some at some point in the past where we wanted to believe like okay this is like pure sport as pure as it gets the guys fighting it's this contest of martial arts your kung fu against my wrestling and we'll figure out like who's the best and that my kind of kung stuff fu would kill your wrestling by the way but just <laughs> your, keep going your kung fu is bullshit my kung fu is the best kung fu well you have to get drunk before you can even start to do it i'm so. a drunken master <laughs> but i think that that notion has been pretty clearly wiped away at this point. And we have to come to terms with what the UFC is and what it isn't. And what it is, is entertainment. Like at this point, you know, they, at the very top, sure, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to take the guys who are up there, put them up there. And hey, if you can be champion, you know, that is if you can get in the UFC, sorry, Ben Askren, uh, then, you know, you get to have that. If you're one of those other guys, they're trying to climb up the ladder or just kind of hanging out in the middle of the pack there. The man, you better be able to put on a show because that's what the UFC is in business to do is to try and get people's money. And that's what people are paying for. So, right. I, I mean, I but, think that we have to come to terms with what that is. If we wanted something different, then the UFC would change what it was offering in order to, to give it to us. But I do want something different. See, uh, that conversation brings I don't us, know if you do. I don't believe I do. that you do. I do want something different. I don't I don't want dudes that go out and, and throw them bungalows. Uh uh, exclusively. That's not what I want. That's not why I like the sport. That's not what I'm into. I like to watch a slugfest as much as the next guy, but that's not the thing that got me into MMA. And frankly, that attitude didn't used to exist in the sport. Like it's a pretty new wrinkle that we would, uh, suddenly want everyone to be the most exciting fighter in the world. Like that's a definitely a modern MMA problem. Uh, I, I'm more interested in the technical aspect of it, frankly. Like I, the reason that I first fell in love with the sport was because of the grappling element of it. And you have guys go to the ground and get involved in this, this, uh, uh, pardon my cliche, but human chess match, which is probably over intellectualizing things. But at the same time, like, uh, is, is a way that is oftentimes used to describe it. Like, that's what I like. I like the diversity of action. I like the fact that you have to go out there and have a plan and, and have, you know, uh, some kind of a nuanced and intelligent attack that you don't just go out there tank Abbott style and throw barroom bouncing uh, you know, hillbilly haymakers. Well, but I don't think that it's just, I don't think it's an either or thing that it's either a chess match or like, you know, two drunks in the bar parking lot at 3 a.m. Like, I, I think that there's a lot of middle ground there. And I think that MMA fans have definitely gotten better over the years at recognizing like, hey, here is a technical, uh, but also entertaining and intriguing fight. Like, I think a lot of uh, the great fights that we've seen have been that way. It hasn't all just been, you know, slobber knockers. At the same time, if I were to tell you I'm going to break my stance about never letting you watch my fight pass and I'll I'll do it right now so that I can bring up for you Jake Shields versus Yoshihira Akayama from UFC 144, you're not going to want to sit through all 15 minutes of that. That fight is boring. That fight is not fun to watch. And Jake Shields had a bunch of those. I mean, again, I think that that Demian Maia fight was the best fight he had uh, by far during his time in the UFC. Uh, and that one, I think, was... That's kind of the, the pinnacle for a guy like Jake Shields is a, is a really technical back and forth with another ground specialist, a lot of mixing it up kind of all over the place, uh, and a really good five round fight. And he never really replicated that at any other time in his career. And I think that you can look at a lot of those fights and understand why people wouldn't be super psyched to watch it and why if they had kept him on and, you know, they announced the next fight card, Jake Shields versus, you know, whoever you're not, that's not one you're circling on your calendar. Like that's uh, be honest. No, I, I mean, I'm, I, when I say that, I'm not specifically talking about Jake Shields. I mean, the guy came into the UFC and, and dating back to his Strike Force days, I think he had nine 
uh, decision finishes out of 10 fights. Prior to that, he had like six or seven stoppages in a row, but maybe that's neither here nor there. Uh, but I just don't want it like dictated to me what kind of fighting I like to see, which is kind of what it feels to me like is, is happening uh, as the sport, quote unquote, becomes more mainstream. I think that that is happening to, to some extent, but I also think, hey, if Jake Shields got a title shot, right? Like if he had beaten George St. Pierre and been champion, it's not like the UFC would have tried to get rid of him for being a, a boring champion there. I mean, that... You, there is still that point when the your ability to win fights can kind of trump all that other stuff. And George St. Pierre has been criticized for not exactly being the, the most exciting fighter at times, uh, and yet you know still was immensely popular and all that. So I don't think it's it's just like a a thing of hey you got to go out there and put your hands at your waist and and swing for the fences, otherwise we're going to kick you out of here. But I do think it's this thing where you have to recognize that the UFC is trying to find you know one guy in each weight class. Like they want one champion and then we got to bring guys to the champion uh, either by, you know, them working their way up or, you know, we find guys, bring them in, give them one fight so people know who they are. And then we give that guy a title shot. And that's what happened with Jake Shields. And he didn't get there and it didn't look like he was going to get back there anytime soon. So I don't necessarily think that the UFC is obligated to keep that guy around just because he's one of the best. And I think that this is the thing that makes it hard for us is because we think of it in this broader sports mindset, right? Where. If you're the 17th best shortstop in the world, you're a millionaire. You're a fucking millionaire. If you're like the 20th best shortstop in the world, you're a millionaire. If you're the 20th best MMA welterweight in the world, you're kind of scraping by. You're, you know, you're looking for your opportunities where you can get them. And I think that that's sometimes hard for us to realize that this is a, a heartbreaker of a business uh, for exactly these reasons. Like, hey, you finally got to the point where you were making good money, but then you weren't, you weren't going to be the best. That makes you expendable. I mean, that is hard for us to to live with, but I think that that's the reality of this business. Yeah, especially for a guy who seems to be a legitimately nice person. Yeah, like like Jake Shields. Uh, I guess the question before we wrap up this round is: Are you interested at all to see what happens to Jake Shields? There was already some some just rampant speculation online. I think basically people just top uh, tossing out fantasy ideas. But like, let's say Jake Shields goes to one FC and ends up fighting Ben Askren in uh, in a match between two guys that are it's against everything that you stand for, as you've just said in the last five or six no, minutes. Look. You know, I, I, Ben Askren is the one where I still think that, that if you want to make a case against the UFC for trying to choose a certain kind of fighter and keep another certain kind of fighter out, that's the one where right. you can make it. Because Jake Shields got in here and he had his chance. Right. Ben Askren didn't even get that chance. Right. Uh, which I'm being facetious. I'm just want to, I just want to ask you, are you interested in what happens to Jake Shields from here out? Very. And I think that, you know, it seems like welterweight for some reason has become a really interesting weight class for that. Because you've got Ben Askren over in 1FC. Uh, you've got, you know, interesting stuff happening in, in World Series of Fighting. So there is, uh, there's some good potential matchups for him. I would be really interested to see him go over and fight Ben Askren, uh, solely because I think that that would be an interesting one to let us see Ben Askren against somebody who's coming straight out of the UFC and was, you know, competing at a pretty high level in the UFC for several years. Let's see Ben Askren against that guy and kind of, you know, by proxy, give us an idea of how he would do. Yeah, I think that that's a, that would be an interesting thing. I would also think it would be interesting to see him go over to a World Series of Fighting and and uh, and see if he can come out with his legs intact. We'll just, we'll just I, I wouldn't to, complain about that either. We'll have to see what happens there. Well, that's going to do it for round number one. Sir Nigel Longstock is here. We're going to do uh, Master Tweet Theater. We're going to bring him in and play that game. That starts right now.
It's that time again. We welcome back to the show friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I am hale and hearty. I don't think either of those things are true, and I'm not even sure what one of them means. Uh, for those of you who don't know how this works, uh, Sir Nigel's going to read us off some tweets from people in the MMA sphere. Uh, Chad and I are going to try and guess who those tweeters were. Uh, Sir Nigel, is there a theme? You know, there is, sir. The theme is the John Updike edition of Master Tweet Theater. Come on, man. What are you trying to do? Never an unpublished thought is the theme <laughs> for this edition. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds like fun. I guess uh, whenever you're ready, go ahead and hit us with the first one. <clears throat> yes, let us begin. Tweet the first. Jesus, the fluff on the news here has just gone to a new level. A story about a goddamn duckling rescue. Hashtag scraping the barrel. Okay, well, it, I mean, it sounds like we're dealing with like a crotchety old guy. Is that your reading too, Chad? Uh, well, I would be inclined to guess professional wrestler X-Pac because I know that he stays at home a lot watching 24-hour cable news channels in the afternoon and complaining about them on Twitter, but I don't know that he would qualify as being in the MMA sphere. No. Well, if he did, then we would get pissed off at Sir Nigel about it. I'm going to say Pat Militich. Well, that's actually a pretty good guess. Uh, boy, I'm going to go with professional wrestler X-Pac. <laughs> Okay, Sir Nigel. Both fine guesses. One of them some person I have never heard of, and both wrong. It is, in fact, Michael Bisping. Really? Michael Bisping. Goddamn duck leg on the nest. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You just want an excuse to do your Michael Bisping voice, don't you? Adam in the head hitting news. I have no idea what you said right Investigative now. Investigative journalism. <laughs> <clears throat> Tweet the second. This is fun, isn't it? No, it isn't. Oh, it's fun for me. Tweet the second. Okay, you guys are all very sick. Bang it out, define. Two fighters punch in the face very hard, looking to knock one another unconscious. Ooh, the syntax there seems weird to me. Can we hear that one again? Read as written. Okay, you guys are all very sick. Bang it out, define. Two fighters punch in the face very hard, looking to knock one another unconscious. <sighs> I'm just going to say Dwayne Ludwig and just back out of this one slowly. Uh, because of the bang yeah, association? Pretty okay. much. Um, I'm going to go with a non-native English speaker, I guess. Maybe a uh, Vanderlei Silva type. See, I've thought about that, but then it seems like attempting to knock each other unconscious. I mean, that seems like... Yeah, that does. that is a high level of vocabulary, right. I guess. Right. Brazilians just refer to unconscious as Thursday. <laughs> Okay, so now you want to just add another ethnic group that you're going to make fun Bring of. Bring them all in. Not more nationality, really. Well, who is it? It is Diego Sanchez. Uh, previously taking some heat for saying he loved to watch two guys bang it out. <laughs> well, come on. He, he, you know, he's got to know what's going to happen if he puts that on Twitter, right? Just tossing softballs into Twitter. <laughs> and then, you know, disappointed and saddened with the result. Everyone is sick. Sick. <clears throat> Tweet the third. This is an aphorism. Failure is an indispensable prerequisite for success. Failure is an occurrence, not an identity. Is the last part in all caps? Uh, no, but there is an exclamation point. I'm going to say failure expert, the poet Philip Baroni. Ooh. This sounds like Randy Couture to me. Like kind of an uplifting aphorism. He to does steal. like an aphorism. Uh, Sir Nigel's word. I'm going to go Randy Couture. 
Both fine guesses, both men prone to make lemonade from lemons, but it is in fact Rich Franklin. Oh, whose whose job actually the, it's always does. either Randy Couture other, or Rich Franklin. Rich Franklin, also known as the other Randy Couture for the purposes of Master Tweet Theater. The other Twitter aphorist. Yeah. Also professionally making lemonade now, I believe. <laughs> <clears throat> tweet the fourth. Really regretting them dessert nachos right about now. Ugh. Them dessert nachos, huh? Them dessert nachos. There's a lot packed into that short phrase. Uh, I'm going to say Joe Benavidez. All right, now see, this is where I'm inclined to go, poet Philip Baroni. Not a bad guess. Fine guesses, grounded in deduction, both again wrong. It is War Machine. Ah, God damn it. The other Philip Baroni. See, that's that's two in a row where I felt like I was right there and I just fumbled it. Yeah, like your your reasoning to get there was right, and then you, you came down to where you had to choose door number one or door number two, and you just pick wrong. Yeah, see, I probably should have gone. War Machine's injured right now, right? So I probably should have gone War Machine because he's just sitting around eating dessert nachos. What the fuck are dessert nachos? I, that I don't know. That I do not know. Yeah, I'm gonna say like cookies with whipped cream and then sauce, you know, chocolate sauce. Well, you Beans. know, for future reference, when I ask a question, if you don't know the answer to it, you can just say, I don't know. You don't have to make shit up. Impossible, sir. <clears throat> Tweet the fifth. Uh, I'm editing out a name here because it'll give us too much of a clue. Yeah. To, to the tweeter in question. We don't want that. It's directed at someone, though. Thanks for the Buffalo Wild Wings and listening to me bitch about how sore I am and how bad I want to slap that guy. Okay. So, somebody went to Buffalo Wild Wings while they were sore and they wanted to slap somebody. Uh, that ring any bells for you, Chad? No. No, I don't know that, what that could be. Fleece Herrig. It's another good guess. Although, I, I believe that would be her first appearance in Master Tweet Theater, wouldn't it? Or is she on the list of the, the very short list of MMA people that Sir Nigel follows? <laughs> I don't know. You know, and he, every, he's known to add one every once in a while just to mess with us. I follow everyone. It's just so few are funny. All right, we'll read it one more time. <clears throat> well, just a moment. <laughs> Tweet the fifth. Thanks for the Buffalo Wild Wings and listening to me bitch about how sore I am and how bad I want to slap that guy. Okay, I don't think this is right, but I'm going to go Ariane, uh, Celeste, Benchamol, Lopez, uh, O'Neal here. You think that she's eating Buffalo Wild Wings? Well, see, that's why I don't like it as a guest. She's into keeping it fit and sexy, man. Maybe she was somewhere keeping it healthy and sexy, healthy and that's and sexy. why she's so sore. Okay. From doing squats. Followed up with some Buffalo Wild Wings. Sure. That's the, that's... A lot of caloric burn involved in leg day, maybe she... <laughs> Sir Nigel. Both fine guesses, both likely man-slappers, both again wrong. It is Phil Baroni yeah. tweeting at War Machine. <laughs> I can't even be mad at you anymore. Like Karpov versus Kasparov right here on Twitter. <laughs> I, you know, now I, I got to say somewhere in the middle of this edition, I was angry with you. And now I have to just shake my head in wonderment. That's showmanship, sir. <laughs> Well, that's all for this week. Sir Nigel, what do you got coming up? You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I've just completed filming on a lovely musical romance set in pre-revolutionary Cuba about a group of people learning to dance just before they are consumed by living corpses. I see. And what's it called? It's called Dirty Dancing Havana Night of the Living Dead. And what role do you play? I play the top half of a merengue instructor. <laughs> well, that was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir. 
Well, Chad, this weekend in Albuquerque, women's bantamweight Holly Holm did what she do, put a stamp on Juliana Werner at the Legacy FC 30 main event. Uh, obviously, Holly Holm is a good fighter. Yes. Excellent striker. Yes. Seems like uh, the rest of her game is starting to come along. So why doesn't it seem like the UFC is begging? They're just dying to pick her up right now. This is exactly who you need, right? Yeah, it's kind of a mystery to me. I guess we're not privy to what happened in those initial negotiations between the UFC and Holly Holmes management. Uh, the only thing we know is that it did not go well. Uh, because the, the, uh, UFC did what it likes to do by sending a message on its, the TV show that it owns. State run TV. Uh, by saying that it, that it would, had no interest in Holly Holm or whatever. Which, by the way, came, I think, shortly after her, her manager thought, like, was kind of quoted as saying, like, oh, we had a meeting, thought it went well, thought it went all right. And then that it seems to happen a lot, doesn't it? Yes. Remember when that happened to Ben Askren when he's had a meeting and he was like, oh, I was pretty sure they were going to offer me a contract. It and makes then, you wonder what's happening in these rooms where they, like, they, one side leaves going like, okay, that was pretty good. I thought that was productive. And it was like, as soon as the door shuts or the UFC people, these fucking guys, <laughs> it's a mystery to me on the Holly home front, because like we said at the top of the show about the light heavyweight division, uh, it ain't like you need fewer women, women's bantamweight exactly. contenders at this point, especially, uh, fewer women's bantamweight contenders that seem to have like kind of a star power kind of a thing going for them, which having watched the last three or four of Holly Holmes fights on, on access, I think she has to me when I watch her, she looks like she has, you know, some of that same it factor that Ronda Rousey kind of has, although a completely different, uh, skill set. Uh, and so I don't understand why the UFC wouldn't jump on bringing her in, especially now that she's seven and zero and has this legacy FC title that would seem to put her right in the mix with, uh, you know, the other top 135 pound contenders in the division. Uh, you know, I don't believe that the UFC is trying to protect Ronda Rousey really because th that sentiment is out there, uh, more maybe about cyborg than about Holly Holm. But like, that's one of the things people keep bringing up. I don't, I'm not sure that I buy that. Uh, the UFC has never done that before. Uh, this would be the first time, and maybe Ronda Rousey is a special case since they pretty much built this entire division around her. But at the same time, I feel like you make more money if you put on the fights that people want to see and you have the best women's bantamweights fight the other best women's bantamweights. So well, Holly Holm, to me, seems to fit right into that category. She does. I think that the issue is money. I think that the, maybe uh, Holly Holm's camp uh, is getting a pretty good deal the way they're doing it now, even though that they're they're fighting on smaller promotions, but uh, you know maybe are kind of promoting their own events in some ways where that they can do it because she does have this kind of star factor that is uncommon on the on the lower level. And so if they want to go to the UFC, and especially as uh, you know her longtime coach Mike Winklejohn has said that hey, if they're going to fight for a title, they want to know that there's better guaranteed money out there for fair. Point, I think, you know, and it seems like maybe the UFC is trying to take the approach that it sometimes does with these people with, hey, how, how do we know you're any good? You haven't fought in the UFC yet, uh, which, of course, then becomes this thing of how do you prove that you can fight in the UFC if you don't get a chance to fight in the UFC? I mean, I think that maybe it's just a matter of uh, coming around to a dollar figure uh, and my I have to believe that eventually Holly Holm will get in the UFC because it just seems too ridiculous that. You know, somebody with that much talent in a division where there is not that much talent right now and where you really need, you know, fresh challengers would be kept out just because, you know, you, you can't come to an agreement at the bargaining table. I, I have to think that eventually you'll get there. What seems to me to be the infuriating factor in all this is how 
people within the UFC and Ronda Rousey herself, like when they start to talk about the possibility with maybe Gina Carano coming back, uh, then that one everybody seems to think that is, oh yeah, well no, even though all, all has all these same obstacles for why we said we wouldn't fight Cyborg and, you know, we'd probably have to pay her a ton of money too, uh, but, all these objections they have to other people vanish when it comes to somebody like Gina Carano, who they could bring in, know she's going to be popular, and also know she's probably not going to be much of a challenge for Ronda Rousey. That one, I feel like, do you think that we don't see what's going on here? Because I think we do see it. Yeah, and boy, I was sick of this Ronda Rousey-Gina Carano thing like a week ago. I wrote a thing on Bleacher Report about how that it had become the Grigory Rasputin of MMA rumor stories. It just like wouldn't die no matter what you did to it, and that was before. Rasputin eventually died. They got him. Oh, Don't worry. It's possible. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but that was I wrote that before she goes on Arsenio. Dude, Arsenio has a show. Who knew? Still. Uh do they still do the? Whoop, whoop, I have whoop, no whoop. idea. I've never seen it. I tried to watch the Carano thing, and once again was reminded that I can't watch Gina Carano talk. I I just can't do it. I have to turn the video off. What's your problem? I don't know. It's just I She's, get, Everybody loves her. She's America's girl next door. I get that feeling in the pit of my stomach that you get when you watch like uh, uh, little kids do gymnastics or something. You're afraid they're gonna what? like screw up a cartwheel. What are you even saying? I don't know. I just I get embarrassed. I can't watch. Are we gonna go see in the blood after this or not? That's what I want to know. No, we're not going to see that. And frankly, I don't want to hear any more about Gina Carano until it's on paper. That's it. I'm done with her. I I I've heard enough already. On these rumors about how we might put together the world's greatest squash match because Ronda Rousey wants to go film a movie and then come back and uh, engage in a fight where she gets paid a lot of money and doesn't incur any damage. Well, and the thing that seems crazy to me about that was uh, the UFC saying, like, okay, yeah, we have a meeting with Gina Carano, supposed to sit down this week and everything, talk about her future. Also, the same thing, though, when asked recently about uh, Cyborg. Dana White, who said that, you know, he thinks that she's mismanaged and will be mismanaged her entire career, was said, you know, there's no negotiations or anything like that because we don't even have a 145-pound division. Okay, if you can't even sit down and talk with Cyborg because some there's some alarm that will go off if you try and walk into the Zufa headquarters and you're a woman who's not within striking distance of 135 pounds, then why are you meeting with Gina Carano, who struggled to make 145 back when she was younger and, like, way more active in the MMA scene. I mean, it's only going to be harder for her now that she's in her early 30s and, and hasn't been training to fight. Like, if that that factor alone just, like, keeps you from negotiating, why sit down with Gina Carano? Yeah, and let's be clear. Like, I don't think it's ridiculous that Gina Carano would come back and fight in the women's 135-pound division in the UFC, uh, but I think it would be ridiculous if she came in and got an immediate title shot. Yes. I think that no, would agreed. Be if she came back and just and fought one of the contenders there, yeah. you know, uh, you know what, what I was excited about though, just this happened over the weekend, just briefly, really briefly, these rumors cropped up that there would be a Holly Holm, Chris Cyborg pay-per-view. Uh, and then I believe both sides denied it as soon as it happened. But shit, man, if you make that fight, you got my, I'm, I'm paying you. You have, you already have my money. That's right. I'll send you a deposit. Now you just hold on to the cash. And as soon as the pay-per-view <laughs> becomes a reality, put it in the bank. I want I, that because that is a fight that I do want to see. Yeah. And I don't care where it happens. Uh, note to whoever's doing that. Do not accept a check from Chad Dundas. No. His money his, order. His, what if, I, what if his, I send you a traveler's his check? His picture is on the wall over there at the gas station for a reason. Uh, but, you know, I, I agree with you. I do think that they're like 
the USC might be depending too much on the brand there because I think if you put together a fight like a Holly Holm for Cyborg, wherever you do it, do it in front of that gift shop in Las Vegas. I, yeah, I would outside watch that. in the Fremont district. I mean, guys walking by with their footballs full of liquor, looking up there <laughs> like, oh, what's this? What's going on? <laughs> well, I mean, but that seems to be like the at least the the public perception right now is that when it comes to the UFC bantamweight uh, women's bantamweight division, that the UFC is not like actively courting new talent there, which it really should be doing because what else are you going to do there? Otherwise, you know, when Ronda Rousey is getting off the red carpet and coming back into the cage, I mean, who do you have for her to fight right now? Kat Zingano doesn't seem like she's going to be ready, uh, you know, until at least the, the summer, maybe late summertime. And even then, like we've said, a lot to ask of Kat Zingano to, to come back and get right into a fight with Ronda Rousey after, you know, everything she's been dealing with recently. I mean, it seems to me like now would be the time to really get, play up that division and, you know, let the chips fall where they may on that. And it doesn't seem like the UFC agrees. Right. Especially with Ronda Rousey being gone for a while. Like, bring some of these women in and have them fight each other. Have them fight, you know, other people. Have them fight Sarah McMahon, for God's sakes. Uh, it, it just doesn't really make sense to me that... that uh, Cyborg or Holly Holm would be kind of locked out of the UFC. And I think that that's why, I mean, I, I guess you got to remain uh, positive that a deal is going to get done. It sounds to me like, you know, regardless of all the talk, that a deal will eventually get done because that's sort of, it seems like what always happens uh, in the UFC. Um, I would think that Ronda Rousey is probably going to end up fighting one of those three women next. Uh, I just get a sinking feeling in my stomach that it's probably going to be Gina Carano. You really you think that that's that's what's going to happen? I mean, I don't want to think that, but it just seems like the it seems like there's too much smoke for there not to be fire. Yeah, on this story, it does. Well, and the thing to me that is kind of infuriating about it, and I wrote a, a column about this over the weekend, was how the the entire justification for that seems to be, well, look how popular Gina Carano is, and look what a big fight it would be. I don't see anybody, I have not seen anybody try and even make a serious case of it would be a good fight or like a competitive fight or anything at this point. Nobody is even trying to argue that point. It's just like people would watch it, therefore you can do it, which, and if, if that's all the logic you need, you could make a lot of goddamn ridiculous fights out there. Yeah, and I it's, once again I come back to the idea like who are these people? And I know that they must be out there, right? Like I know that we've got demographics and 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 past got history, numbers, you know what I mean? History to suggest that that this stuff is going to work, but like who are these people that that are A interested in MMA, B literate in the sport enough to know both Ronda Rousey and Gina Carano's resumes and C want to watch that right like that's like like they know enough about mma to know who gina carano and ronda rousey are but don't know enough about the sport to know that it was just going to be a, an ass kicking well, see that's the thing is that that seems odd to me is that it seems like we're always assuming like well there's a whole bunch of suckers out there that don't really watch the sport but yet somehow know who these people are and they will rush in here to plop down their money which does not usually enter the the mma ecosystem uh, and that's why this fight would be good somehow. But no, man, I think the suckers would still just be us for the most part. I mean, there'd be more of us, but it, like we would be in there among those suckers. And we, we shouldn't feel so gleeful about that. I guess. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number three. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week? Well, Chad, speaking of Gina Carano, uh, I happened to look on uh, Roger Ebert's website. Uh, of course, Roger Ebert, the, the great uh, film critic who... Uh, 
who, who died uh, just about a year ago now. Um, but his his website's still kind of my go-to for movie reviews. So I wanted to see what they think of uh, Gina Carano's In the Blood. Uh, Brian Tallarico gives it one star. Ooh, ouch. Uh, I, I think... It's better than no stars. I guess. I guess it is. And it could have been half a star. I think they do halves there. However... It's not a positive review, uh, and I would like to read a, a section uh, from it right here, which is, uh, first of all, it begins saying that the film is already in, genre-wise, quote, an ignominious club, and In the Blood is what could be its, quote, worst entry. Ooh, then ouch. goes on to call it a dull piece of nonsense. Oh! Uh, and uh, also declares it to be in a rare category of awful. Um, doesn't necessarily attack Gina Carano personally, although it's also not exactly in love with her skills, because at one point it says Carano and her male co-star, quote, have zero chemistry. Watching them cavort in the surf and cuddle has all the believability of a Sandals commercial, and it's just one of the first scenes that feels horrendously, almost fascinatingly off in its pacing. Oh. Are you fucking kidding me? That's a bad review. Oh. Just fucking scathing are you fucking kidding me are you fucking kidding me how much can one person hate a movie well i guess you know you know what they say focus on the stars you've got not on the stars you don't have right? yeah that's what they say well ben i know that that this week my are you fucking kidding me will be right up your alley because i know i've seen your tweets about how you like to peruse the pay-per-view channels on the satellite provider up around the, the 500s checking out the uh, titles of the adult programming. The nude events, Offering. as they're called. That's right. This week, we all became aware of the existence of the lingerie fighting championships and its upcoming event, Leather and Lace, Ooh, yeah. which goes down on Saturday. And if the adjectives at the lingerie FC teaser trailer video can be believed will include both victory and excitement. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, any of that is probably worthy of an are you fucking kidding me in and of itself. But for some reason, the thing that really stuck out to me uh, as the most are you fucking kidding me worthy was when I went to the website today. Of course you did. Uh, LingerieFC.com, in, in case you're interested, uh, and saw that they have an actual live countdown ticking down the seconds until... Uh, leather and lace airs on pay-per-view. Are you fucking kidding me? Nobody, not even the ladies who are going to fight at the lingerie fighting championships are counting down the seconds until leather and lace. Can I ask, what are they charging for this? That I don't know. I would imagine it's probably pretty reasonable. You know, because I, if, if you're into this idea and you're thinking about paying for it, let me tell you about something called Internet Pornography. It's free. I don't know what that is. I've never heard of it. But that is going to wrap it up for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, the big homie Roy Nelson and the big homie Roddy Nog are going to put a scrap on this weekend live on Fight Pass from Abu Dhabi at uh, UFC Fight Night 
39 or something. Sure. Yep, 39. Man, the confidence you exude when talking about it is really impressive. Uh, well, it's hard to keep track of the numbers these it days. Is. You know, once we get up, we start closing in on, on 50 and then from there, triple digits, I guess. It gets hard to keep track, especially when there's one of these things about every week. Uh, you know, normally we, we end up with this kind of matchup as a main event if, if someone drops out due to an injury or there's some kind of shakeup on the card. This is the one we've been targeting all along. Uh, what, uh, one scale of one to 10, your level of interest and excitement in, uh, I believe waking up early on Friday, Friday morning ish and watching this event from Abu Dhabi. I don't think it's that early. When will it go down? I think maybe it's around, uh, 9am in the one true time zone. Perhaps I could be totally wrong about that. Uh, but, uh, well, first of all, I will get to see it because I am a Fight Pass subscriber. Uh, you want me to just like G-chat you, like my thoughts as we're going? Yeah, you know, if you could just uh, maybe get a ticker tape and uh, read the results of the fight, a blow-by-blow account off a ticker tape, as as if it was like the 1920s. Well, I don't want to interfere. Jack Dempsey was defending his title yeah, somewhere. You're, you're over here trying to keep track of your standard oil stock. I don't want to confuse you or anything. Yeah, that's right. I'll just be over here counting up my stock dividends instead of watching Roy Nelson fight Antonio Rodrigo Noguera. This is not a bad fight card. No, it's, it'll be it's it's a fun main event. It's got it's got fun. It's like a fun card. It's got fun written all over it. <laughs> Say fun one more time. It's just going to be a fun. To- oh, I can't think of any other way to describe it. So fun seems like a, about the best way. Well, you know, this is one of those things where uh, I I wonder about the the appeal for somebody who like if you I get okay the fights we do in Abu Dhabi are for Abu Dhabi I guess if that's the the, the thinking here about why it's going to be at a weird time but you're an MMA fan here in the US this thing comes on while you're at work on a Friday what are you supposed to do man I mean I guess like depends on what kind of job you have my friend <laughs> say you have a real job not oh, like yeah. us. if you have a real job you're not watching this well, okay, so I guess that well, that's the, the beauty of Fight Pass, though, right? Like, if you have a real job and you've got the Fight Pass subscription, you can watch it when you get home. You just have to stay off the social medias. Yeah, I guess so. And I guess that then it brings us back to the same old conversation of: Is this appeal enough for for Fight Pass? That hey, there's going to be a fight. It'll be at a weird time. You'll be at work if you're a responsible adult, uh, and you know maybe it'll get spoiled for you. But if not, you can watch it at your leisure later on. Even though none of these fights really seem to matter that much for the immediate like ramifications in any one division, uh, I go back and forth about whether is that supposed to be the the main appeal of Fight Pass or is that supposed to be you know the icing on the cake? Especially got me thinking about it when I heard all these nerds watching WrestleMania on their WWE version of Fight Pass, whatever the hell it's called. Right, where you get the pay-per-views. That's right. Uh, well, so wait now. Uh, if you think that the, this, these live events are the icing on the cake, what's the value? Well, I don't, well, that's the thing is I, you know, would go back and forth about is the live events the icing on the cake? Because it depends. Uh, if your live events are like UFC Singapore quality, then they can't be the main appeal, right? Like well, ha- I mean, and that I think is one of the weird things about Fight Pass. Fight Pass seems to be caught in the middle of this, in this weird undefined area where it's not a hundred percent a subscription service because when you think about a traditional subscription service, uh, like Netflix, like you sign up for Netflix in lieu of the service where they send it to your house and having one or the other is cheaper. You know, it saves you money basically to sign up for Netflix streaming. Uh, you could do both. Yeah, but it costs more money. Yes. Right. So it saves you more money to have the subscription. 
uh, which is also why, in a traditional sense, you subscribe to magazines, right? They send them straight to your house. No one subscribes you, to you, magazines. Yeah, but like this is how the subscription, the idea of the subscription was born. Like they send it straight to your house. You save money. You don't have to buy it from the newsstand. And you uh, get it sooner. Right. Um, so uh, Fight Pass isn't exactly that because it, you're, they're just asking you to pay more money. They're not saving you any money. And uh, that makes it more like a premium service like HBO. But they're also not offering premium content. Right. So, their premium content you still have to pay even more for. Somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and so that's kind of one of the things that 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 makes uh, Fight Pass a little bit weird to me. But I've made peace with it. I understand what Fight Pass, you know, that it, that it appeals to the the hardcore fan that, that can't bear to miss a moment of the UFC. Uh, and if you say anything nice about it on Twitter, Lorenzo Fertitta will retweet you. Uh, <laughs> I, I understand all of these things about it at this point. Um I, it's still not for me because I feel like there's just another there's 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 so much other free MMA going on that if I have a hankering to watch it, you know, Bellator is free every Friday. Access is free every every Friday. But the uh, big homie Roy Nelson and the homie Roddy Nog. And I guess that's the question. Like Roger Nog. Roddy Nog. Sorry. This is Roddy Nog. Okay. Yeah. Roddy Roger Nog's his brother. That's right. Uh, like, is this fight pass card? Uh which is Roy Nelson and, and Roddy Nog in the main event, Clay Guida and, and Tatsuya Kawajiri, John Howard and Ryan LaFleur, and then uh, Benil Dariush Nailed it. and uh, Ramsey Najem. Uh, like, that's not a bad card. That's fine. But, like, is that substantive, like, substantively different enough that you're willing to pay for it from the thing that you would get for free on Access or Spike? So this is what I was going to go to next is, okay, the UFC – when they come out with something like Fight Pass, which promises, uh, you know, you get to watch old events, even though, you know, the library is still kind of being updated and they'll throw some other content on there. Uh, and then there'll be like some live events that are exclusive to Fight Pass. When they come out with something like that just initially and they get a certain number of subscribers just because of, you know, the certain number of people who are like, what do you got? Is it a UFC keychain that has a hologram of clay weed on it? I'll buy that. I'll buy anything. I love MMA. Ah, like you get those people, those people are going to get it at this point. And I feel like the, uh, the Alexander Gustafson fight was a big attempt where, okay, you haven't signed up yet. You've been skeptical and resisting the idea. This is the one where you, we will break your will and you will want to see this fight badly enough that you will. Okay. I'll sign up. This is the point where if the fight cards are going to start to look like this one, which, as we said, fun, but not necessarily like a can't miss kind of deal. And on a time when like responsible people are often at work, this feels like we're not uh, like if this is what we're going to do, we're not really gaining, I would think, a whole bunch of new subscribers with a fight card like this. I don't think anybody out there who who has resisted the siren song of fight pass so far is going Oh, the, the homie Roy Nelson and the homie Roddy Nog. Did that one. Fine. You got me. Now I'll sign up. It seems like it's just kind of like a maintaining thing at this point. Uh, yeah, we talked about that before in that sense, you don't have to sign any kind of like six month agreement the way that you do for the WWE network that there would probably be a lot of, uh, of ebb and flow to the whole fight pass, uh, membership thing, which I think, as you said, the last time we talked about this kind of turns those events into $9 and 99 cent pay-per-views. Right. Uh, and this doesn't seem like one that, that 
a whole hell of a lot of people are are going to be interested in in shelling out nine dollars and ninety nine cents to watch unless they're the people that you know just have the 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 service all the time. I thought it was interesting that today actually WWE had to release their subscriber information uh, for the network, um, and and they have close to seven hundred thousand uh, subscribers. I think they had like six hundred and sixty seven thousand uh, or something like that, which was regarded as a really good number. They're trying to get to one million. Uh, the service has only been offered for 42 days so that that at least according to them they're on pace to get to 1 million subscribers by the end of the year and yet their stock dropped by like uh, 20% or something like that today so uh that's that's interesting i'm not as much of a business guy to quite be able to tell you what that all means but uh 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 it seemed like the uh you know, at least to temper some of the excitement over the WWE network, even though, you know, I went to a friend's house and used the, the network to watch WrestleMania last night and it went off without a hitch. Uh, and the WWE, uh, network subscription service seems like a sweet deal to me if that's what you're interested in watching. Yeah. It, it makes me wonder because I think that you, you can imagine how a lot of people, like if you were going to use your, your free trial period or whatever that you can get, like what, can't you do something right where you sign up for like five days or something where you get the free trial where I can imagine some people out there timing that one being like, okay, I'll use this one for one I really want to see. And then how are you going to make the pitch to those people in the future? Uh, and it seems like the USC isn't quite sure how it wants to do that yet because it's like, well, you know, if we have fights that are good enough to get your money on pay-per-view where, you know, that's still their main business. They don't want to waste those on fight pass thing. The fight pass thing seems like it's the, the stuff where, you know, we want to take shows to other locations at weird times for you. And we think that you're hardcore and crazy enough that you guys will pay for it. Uh, it seems like there's a, a limit to how good they're willing to make those fights, which also means there's a limit on like how many new subscribers you can get after a certain point. Yeah. And I think that eventually, you know, years down the road, hopefully as soon as possible, we're going to see, uh, you know, everything available on Fight Pass, pay-per-view, uh, Fox shows, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that'll probably be true of all sports. Like, I think that, that, you know, that's, unless something drastically changes with the technology, I think that's where we're going. Everything's going to be streaming. Uh, NFL will have its own service. MLB will have its own service, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I think you'll, you'll get to a situation where that's, that's the brave new future of the, of the, of the sport, especially combat sports, which has always kind of been in a, in a pay-per-view model. Uh, and I think that's really exciting. I think that'll be awesome when that happens. And that's why, uh, every time I talk about it, I talk about how much potential I think Fight Pass has and how I think it's good that the UFC is, is sort of on the cutting edge of all this new media stuff. Maybe not as quite on the cutting edge as WWE is, but, um, you know, among the industry leaders, nonetheless, I think that's awesome. And, and at this point, it's, it's just a kind of a waiting game to see how long it takes to, uh, come up with a product that, that a majority of fans are going to be interested in. Well, if we are to actually talk about the fights themselves rather than the medium over which they will be shown, uh, what are we doing here with, with the big homie Roy Nelson and the big homie Roddy Nog? Is this a fight for anything or just to see, uh, you know, who can, can hold on to, to the, the tenuous grip on consciousness longer? Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's going to be fun. Uh, Roy Nelson rolls in 0 and 2. Uh, Antonio Rod Rodrigo Nogueira is, uh, 3 and 4 in his last seven appearances. So, you know, two respected veterans, uh, 
guys who, who are probably on the downslope of their career and, uh, guys that are probably going to go out there and slug it out for all you fans, the millions and millions watching around the world <laughs> and those, uh, who are lucky enough to be in the Ferrari dome or whatever they call it in Abu Dhabi. I just wonder now though, what the reaction of dudes is when they're told that they're going to be, uh, on a, a fight pass card. Oh, pumped, I'm sure. Just and a jacked. fight pass card in Abu Dhabi, where you used to hear, like, when after the UFC first went to Abu Dhabi, you'd hear fighters saying, please don't put me on those Abu Dhabi cards. I don't want to go all the way over there and deal with that. Oh, I'm sure they're, I'm sure Roy Nelson is jacked about it, since Roy Nelson seems so positive all the time anyway. I'm sure that this is just really floats his balloon. Uh, let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your just saying stuff this week? Well, I'm just saying, Chad, you see this this interview popped up with Fedor Emelianenko, uh, still uh, an enigma to those of us uh, in combat sports. And uh, I was curious because he gives a little advice on uh, child rearing, and since you and I are both still relatively new fathers, I wanted to check it out. His quote when it comes to raise a man, I mean boy, you must explain him from he is young that there is a family he is responsible for and motherland he is responsible to defend, the values he needs to learn from when he is little. A man must not see the army as something he needs to avoid, so when the motherland calls, he responds, here I am to serve and defend my motherland. I'm just saying, that's Russian Fedor Emelianenko talking, so watch your ass, Ukraine, because if the motherland calls, Fedor is coming for you. I'm just saying, just I'm buying saying. Fedor's fatherhood book as soon as it comes out. Uh, ben, I don't know if you saw there was a minor stir this past week when the official Muhammad Ali Twitter account tweeted at Dana White, uh, causing the UFC president to kind of lose his shit, uh, in, in a, in a fanboy style display that was actually kind of like totally cute and endearing. I thought to see how excited Dana White was that Muhammad Ali had tweeted at him. And then the news was, uh, dutifully passed along by some people in the MMA industry. And man, I'm just saying if there is one single person alive on this earth today who believes that 72 year old Muhammad Ali runs his own Twitter account and or probably even knows what Twitter is. I would like to enter into a real estate deal with that person because I've got some prime Eastern Montana land that I'd be willing to let go at a real reasonable price. I'm just saying, just saying. Last time I heard that land had a serious jackrabbit infestation. You know, maybe it's right next door to uh, the world's sixth largest nuclear arms uh, arsenal, but that doesn't affect you. All the rabbits have pink eye. I think that buyer beware. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week to uh, break down all of the action and the upcoming stuff that's going to happen in the mixed martial arts world. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. So you, just because of Muhammad Ali's age, you think he doesn't know about Twitter. You're an ageist. How many 72-year-old uh, dudes and former fighters do you know who are tweeting at the store? Live tweeting WrestleMania. How many 72-year-old fighters? My dad is in his